were to define what is life, there's a couple of ways that you could go at it. I suppose you could go the medical way and look at all the parts and see how they work together, how the heart pumps, how we're really just this big electrical system of nerves and I mean, just all of it. Or you could say, hey, what is life really all about? I would suggest, friends, you have to come to the conclusion that life is about relationships. Is it not? I mean, life without relationships, has it any meaning at all? Oh, sure. Sit in a room with all your stuff. What kind of life is that? Life is relationships. I read an article recently that says relationships are imperative for many different reasons, such as increasing our emotional well-being, creating stability, learning how to be a good friend or mate, having someone to count on, to trust in times of need, and someone to vent to when we face challenges. And friends, take away the loneliness and make us feel included. Each of our relationships elicit different responses in ourselves that, that, that help us to grow and learn about ourselves. Relationships oftentimes are the glue that holds us together during times of stressful situations. And when we face life's difficulty without relationships, would have a deadened spirit and a lack of connection to our true selves. You were designed by the great designer for relationships. We crave relationships. And so here, as we continue our study on the Sermon of the Mount, which again is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry addressing some scriptures that have been twisted by the religious leaders and made to mean what they want them to mean. And Jesus, in this sermon, is taking on false teachers head on. And what we are going to see is it is all about relationships. I mean, everything in here is about relationships. You may recall last week, we began this section on how to relate to others. And Jesus addressed this often quoted and misunderstood command that we ought not to judge one another. You remember that? You've heard that, right? I guess it was two weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Don't judge, right? Hey, don't judge me. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus taught that we ought not to judge hypocritically. Jesus said, you want to point out a speck in someone else's eye? When you got a whole piece of lumber in your eye? Jesus thought, hey, why don't you spend some time working on your own issues before you move on to someone else? So in our relationships with people, as we have done most of our life, we simply glance in their general, uh, general direction and we come to some conclusion based on some appearance, something different or similar about that person. 
It's absurd. It's absurd. We wouldn't want anyone judging us that way, would we? Yeah, of course not. So how do we relate to others? Now look at verse 6 in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus continues talking about how we relate to other people. And he says, do not give dogs what is holy. Now, it is important to understand that when we read the Bible, we want to read it in its historical context. Jesus isn't talking about golden retrievers here. Those perfect and beautiful, wonderful dogs. He's talking about the, the, the way they treated dogs then. They were just scavengers wild. You didn't mess with these dogs because they would attack you. And so he uses this as a picture of people who act the same way toward truth. Vicious. They're not listeners. Today, in a modern translation, I would really think it's best to understand this as Jesus saying, don't give cats what is holy. There is a picture here. And Jesus repeats this in another way to make sure we get it. And do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. Now, verses 5 and 6 go together here, 1 through 6, in talking about understanding people and how we relate to them. First and foremost, how we relate to them is we don't judge them. I wonder if that message lingered with you. It did with me. We don't judge people by their cars. Funny thing about guys in high school, though. <laughs> Man, if only I had that car, then people would think differently about me. No, you would be still that guy with that particular car. It doesn't work that way. People may come to their own conclusions. Usually it's based on how they see themselves. But if you're going to judge someone, don't be a hypocrite about it. Now, Jesus never told us not to judge. As a matter of fact, later Jesus would tell us that we ought to judge a certain way, and that is with discernment. In that very context, he said, first, take care of your issue. Then, go back and deal with that person. You look at someone's sin, it's easy to point it out and say, hey, what about that guy, that girl, or that woman? What about this? Jesus says, hey, why don't you spend some time looking at you first? Because once you take care of your own sin, you'll be in a lot better position to address someone else's. Don't judge them hypocritically. Do so discerningly. Because you, in your experience as a follower of Christ, have probably shared the gospel many times, and people have responded different ways. And I don't want to hear that garbage, that religious nonsense, this made-up God of yours. That is not the uh, attitude of a listener. 
That is the attitude that Jesus is addressing here. Now, he doesn't say, you know, there's some people you ever, ought never to share the gospel with. That's he's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is, you give everybody an opportunity. But there's nothing you can do if they turn their back on you. Or worse, attack you. Which is, by the way, exactly what happened to Jesus. You may recall, in history, Jesus was actually crucified on a cross. <laughs> yeah. The dogs and the pigs. And they turned on him. And it happens. I had developed a pretty close relationship with a, a man here in Portage. Good friendship. He lived near me. We would get together and we would talk about the scripture. He even came to Family Bible Church. He would talk about things he was reading. And, and then one day he says to me, I'm just not going to do this. I'm, I'm going to go back to some other church. He knew in his studies they didn't teach the, the, the uh, truth. But he says, you know, that's where I grew up. What do you do with it? Someone who walks away from the truth. You keep trying. That's what you do. You don't throw them away. It's not the people who say, eh, that you give up on, my friends. But Jesus says here, you be careful, because they're going to turn on you. You take a stand for Jesus, I guarantee people are going to want to crucify you. Maybe not literally, maybe some other way. You start shining light in people's eyes, they start turning around, hiding from it, and getting angry at the person shining it. Well, as we come to verse 7, the transition here is, is not how to relate to others, but how to relate to God. And what you believe about God will determine how you are related to him. What you believe about him. And you may have a cursory understanding of God. Maybe you went to church when you were a little kid. And you still remember a couple of things here and there. <coughs> but Jesus focuses on a particular way that we relate to God. And it is prayer. Now take a look at this. You've heard this before. Verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus' lesson on prayer is, and literally here, the literal Greek would read this way. Keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and it will be open to you. It is the nature of the verb in the Greek. Continuous action. Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Because the answer to every one of these, and this is the word of Jesus is if you keep asking, you're going to get it. If you keep seeking, you're going to find it. 
And if you keep knocking, it's going to be open to you. Yeah, look at here at verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. If you have never done this, I would challenge you to do a study in the Bible on prayer. What does the Bible say about prayer? You go to the church website, fbcportage.org. You can do a little search right there. There's this, this online Bible. You just put the word prayer in it, and it'll everywhere the word prayer comes up in the Bible. And you could read about that. And you could go online. Uh, Bible.org has some. I mean, they, they're out there. And it's a great thing about a digital Bible. Maybe you have one on your phone. You could do the same thing. And read what is said about prayer. But my friends, don't miss this. You know why? It tells us something about God. You say, well, how does that tell us anything about God? Look at verse 9. I mean, first and foremost, God answers prayer. Secondly, or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Look at a monster would do that. Mommy, I'm, I'm hungry. Hey, there's some rocks out front. Go snack on those guys. And the intended response is, what kind of monster, having been asked by their child, would not give them? Look at verse 10. Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? I mean, who would do that? That is the expected response here. I mean, surely, if your children asked for something, simple as bread or a fish, something to eat, you wouldn't say, go eat some grass, would you? What kind of terrible parents would you be to do such a thing? And here is the kicker right here in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In Christianity, if you're a book reader, oh, some, that guy's selling another book. I better buy that one up and read it. Four ways to get God, from God whatever you want, you know. As if, as if there's some kind of special combination of word. If you don't, you got to pray it this way. you got to pray this prayer. Because, because God has no choice. Once you pray that prayer, you got to get whatever you want. God is not like that. Erase that from your mind. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. God is a God who answers prayer. Surely. God says, hey, by the way, you got sin in your heart? Let's deal with that first. God seems to be uh, awfully concerned about sin. After all, he sent his son to die for it. 
But if you go to your heavenly father, which is, by the way, the very prayer in the previous chapter that we looked at, it begins with these words. Our father. That is the relationship we have with God. Our father in heaven. And Jesus says the things that ought to be showing up on your uh, your prayer list. Hallowed be your name. God, I'm asking these things because these are the resources I need from heaven in order to accomplish your will here on earth. Your will to be a better parent, to be a better brother or sister or neighbor. Prayer is not a shopping list. God, I would really like one of those cars. <laughs> the resources of heaven are not trinkets to be played with. But hear me when I say this. When you go to your heavenly father, he's listening. God not only answers prayer, he delights in doing good things for his children. Just like you do. Just like you do. Look at here in verse 12. So, we ought to relate to God prayerfully, and we ought to relate to God lovingly. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, I mean, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. I mean, this is the golden rule, right? You know, whatever you would want somebody to do, or, you know, whatever you're going to do to them, make sure it's something you want to do to you. <laughs> whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. And some people have made so much of this law, and they think that this statement is the sum of Christian truth. Everything that we ought to talk about is simply this. And I guarantee you this is a big part of it. And there's a whole lot more. Some have even suggested this is the plan of salvation. If you'll love people the way you want them to love you, then you'll be welcome into heaven. And you and I know better than that, don't we? We should no more build our theology on the golden rule and we should build astronomy on twinkle, twinkle, little star, my friends. But there is a principle here. And I wonder if you've seen it already. What we've talked about here today is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It is a great measuring stick, however, of how to treat others. The way you treat them, you ought to ask yourself, would I have wanted them to do that to me or for me? We can learn how to love people by how people have loved us well. We can also learn how to love people how people have not loved us well. They should have done this. Well, guess what, pal? You should do that too. And so how should we relate to one another? Discerningly, carefully, lovingly. And how do we relate to our God? 
Well, first and foremost, friends, you have to have built into your mind that God is a loving, caring Father who delights to do good things for His children. And if you're not thinking that way about God, I guarantee you it's affecting whether or not you spend a second in prayer. Your prayers are nothing more than, God, thanks for this room. Amen. Yeah, rub your eyebrows. Nobody thinks you're praying. You've done it. You've done it. And it is the basis of this, this God's love for us in sending his son to die for our sin and rising from the dead, that we will have an eternal relationship with God. Why relationships? Because God is a relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect heart fellowship with one another. God, by definition, is fellowship. And you know what? God created you to desire relationships because He longs for a relationship with you. You ever think that way about God? Or is God just that mean kid with a magnifying glass making your life miserable? Surely you've seen that comment, right? You know, a bunch of ants, you know, that's us, and God's just... If you don't see God as a loving Heavenly Father, you are thinking wrongly about God. And your thoughts about God are to match what the Word of God tells us about Him. And then Jesus offers this warning. Now, he's about to offer a big one when we come to the end of this chapter. But he says here in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. Those who enter it are many. Jesus says, go through the narrow gate. You won't be popular in this life if you are following Christ with all of your heart. People in your church might say, holier than thou. Oh, they think they're better than everyone else. Look at the way, oh, they're always volunteering. Oh, listen to them pray. Even the people of God. My friends, do not seek popularity. Because wide is the gate. Easy is the way that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. I would imagine, and I have no one in mind, believe me, but there are people who have sat here week after week, month after month, year after year. You have heard the word of God. You know the gospel inside and out. You may have even talked about it with other people. But you've never fully engaged in your heart. Prayer is something you talk about, not something you do. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, my Listen again what Jesus says. 
for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And the question here this morning, is that you? Are you striving to live a life of love toward other people? Or just sit back and judge? Check your heart on that one, folks. I mean, do you love the Lord your God with even part of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Occasionally with all your heart, my own? You know a good way to test that? How you relate to other people. Because if you are loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, I guarantee that love is going to flow over to everybody. It's going to splash on everyone. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, my friend. Narrow is the gate. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We're going to see later in this chapter, Jesus is going to say, on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we, did we not go to church? I mean, we had our Bible. We even had our name on it. I mean, I highlighted a bunch of things. I talked to people. I was in a Bible study, for heaven's sakes. I had a bunch of groups on Facebook. doesn't say that, but you get the idea. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, my friend. Narrow is the gate, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You put God first with all your heart, fully invest in your relationship with him. And you will see that others will suddenly become a very close second. Love will splash over onto anyone. And when you evaluate your relationships, start with you. Start with you before you decide to point out someone else. Start with you.